Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and Merry Christmas and welcome to the second of two Christmas specials of the political party recorded at the Leicester Square Theatre. This one features outspoken Conservative MP Anna Subri and former Mayor of London Ken Livingstone. As you would expect, it was a wide-ranging interview, taking in not only the events of the year, but Brexit, Anna's relationship with her own party, including uh, with MP4 drummer Greg Knight, and on top of that, Ken's career running London, and the comments that had Ken suspended from the Labour Party. There will be no spoilers in this intro, Uh, have a listen, and see what you make of them both. But it was... um, It was was just fascinating to, to sit opposite two people who are... Big figures in British politics, two with very different experiences, two with very different careers, um, and see at times how they interacted with each other. Um, They were both fascinating guests, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you very much for coming to this political party Christmas special at the Leicester Square Theatre. I'm Matt Ford. It's lovely to see you all here tonight. Uh, we've got some phenomenal guests for you tonight. Uh, our first guest tonight is Ramona-in-Chief. She is one of the most outspoken members of Parliament. She is one of the favourite people that I've ever interviewed here at the political party. It's a delight to have her back. She is the one and only. Please give it up for Anna Subri. Anna, you got to let me know. Should we stay or should we go? Better soft or better hard? No more you in our backyard So come on and let us know Should we stay or should we go? Very good. Anna, welcome to the show. Good to see you again, darling. Good to see you again. Good to see you too. Um, you made me all giggly then, it wasn't... You know what you didn't do? Ask Greg Knight... How big is his ma- majority? <clears throat> uh, I, I, I wondered what you were going to say then. I know, I, I did do a slight pause. Having just seen me in the dressing room. <laughs> Not in the current climate, mate. Wind it in. Fucking... <laughs> 15,000. 15,000. 15, so Wishart's got 21. 21. You went up to... What did you up to, Kevin? Uh, 11,000. No, sorry... 12,551, approximately. (laughs) (laughs) No, I went down. But your share went up. Well, I think, actually, most of us actually polled more. In the Tories, we polled more, but (laughs) it was a slight problem. Labour polled even more. (laughs) So my majority, which had gone from 389 in 2010 to 4,200 in... 2015 now is now somewhere around about 800. Yeah, but you still won. Yeah, exactly. 
It's I'm not New Year's here. Eve. I don't want to get too maudlin. Do you know what I mean? Like no, it's, no, 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 no. it's I Christmas. It's fascinating. Yeah, you'll be fine on New Year's Eve, though, won't you? I don't want you sitting oh, yeah. there. Yeah, no, I'd be very happy. What are you doing for Christmas? It's goodbye, this? 2017. <laughs> yeah, but given the rate at which 2017 got worse than 2016, I, I, I'm slightly worried about what's going to happen next year. Oh, you may well be right. We've got to be optimistic. <laughs> Sorry, we've got to be optimistic. Smile. <laughs> now, something you might not know is uh, today is Anna's birthday. Oh. Happy birthday, Anna. So, should Thank we pull you, a darling. Christmas cracker and see if you uh, oh, no. get a present inside? <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Anna. Happy birthday to you. And as a special Very birthday fun. present, we've got you a couple of impact assessments. <laughs> <laughs> Every remainder well, one. You found them. Well, because they mean, don't exist apparently. Well, how frustrating! By the way, what, what was in your cracker? Was there oh, anything in there? Know. Let's have a look, because they're from Waitrose, so you might have something nice. I was on the floor. I forgot. Oh, there you go. Look at that. Look. It's a little game. Oh. Can roll the dice. Tiddlywinks, Greg. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, I was a bit out it's of order. It's sort of saucy panto he's vibe. Get, he's going to get me now for that. Um, Sorry. How frustrating is it for you to be a Conservative MP? Just generally be a Conservative <laughs> yeah, yeah. MP. <laughs> Just stop there. Yeah, yeah how frustrating Sorry. is that? Just well, well, that's another matter. <laughs> Go on, no. And to watch David Davis. He's a fine man. The Brexit bulldog. <laughs> He's the Brexit bulldog. Do you get on with him? Yeah, I don't, to be truthful, I don't really know him. I mean, Greg will know him but tons better than I will. Because you're almost neighbours, aren't you? Uh, we are neighbours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm being genuinely... Right, He's being a miserable serious. bastard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did not see that coming. <laughs> I tell you what, I honestly, I honestly do believe this, right? There'll be people tweeting out now. Tory grandee says David Davis is a miserable bastard. Uh, Anyway, um, I think genuinely what's happened. I don't think he's. I honestly don't believe he's told any fibs. I actually think he thought there was this thing that was happening, an analysis, and then he's called it an impact assessment, and he's sort of got all excited and all puffed up, and he's got in front of the select committees, and he's gone, oh yeah, there's these impact assessments, and he sits like this, and he says, oh, it's all marvellous and everything else, and then when it gets called out by Labour in this brilliant motion that they put forward in the House of Commons, his officials have gone. <coughs> There aren't any. <laughs> He's gone, pardon? There aren't any. But I thought there were. No, no. And the problem is, like Boris, he just doesn't pay any attention to the detail. He just does all the big grandstanding stuff. Because I mean, Boris, as we know, doesn't read his brief. Otherwise, he might have known that this woman, who is languishing in a rather unpleasant jail somewhere... Leslie Ratcliffe. Yes. He might have known that, you know, she... She, she was there to see her family. Yeah. Small detail, yeah, like goes to the whole of her case. He would have known that if he'd actually read his frigging brief, and he clearly hadn't. No, he said that um, she was training teachers. Yes. Which does sound journalist, like... Journalist. Training, training journalist. Training journalists, which does sound like code for she is a spy. Quite, and that was the whole 
case that has been levied against her. So it was, he was kind of saying, you know what, guys, you're right. When we all know they're miserably wrong. You might as she well should have... be home with her child yeah. and her husband. I mean, it, that's what worries the British people, isn't it? Is that just a bit. Just a bit. That <laughs> the foreign have secretary a... doesn't read his brief. Yeah, well, quite that... concerning and actually imperils a British citizen. Yeah, pretty fundamental. <laughs> Do you, is, I mean, uh, how far, really how, how close have you come to, to leaving the Tory party over it? Oh, it's Greg. That's it, Pete. You stand in front. No, sorry, Kevin, you stand in front of, of Greg. Well, it is very frustrating. It yeah. is frustrating. But then you look at the alternatives and you just get even more frustrated. So you just stay where you are and hope that perhaps some sanity might prevail. Yeah, that <laughs> it's it's hard to see where that sanity is going to come from. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I tell you, I'm being serious. Actually, I tell you where it'll come from. It'll come from the British people. Okay, I know we did the referendum thing, which <laughs> might mean maybe you can. No, I'm honest though. I shouldn't really say I trust them anymore. No, I do because the referendum was about a whole stack of other stuff as well. Yeah, and we were just rubbish in the rain, Remain campaign. We got horribly outmaneuvered, and it all came down in the last few weeks of immigration, and it was a complete fuck up, basically. Um, but but no, by and large, British people get what they want actually, and they certainly do in general elections. You said to me before uh, how frustrating it is um, having to deal with some of the more vicious elements on the Conservative benches. People who said to you, "You know, we'll be after your seat next," and all stuff like that. And then uh, is that meant to be? Kevin's lot that well, says that. Well, yeah, but I, I was going to ask, do, do you and Greg ever come to blows? No, never. No. Never. That's because he's never there. I'd be really routine. I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. It's true. I was just about to defend you as well. <laughs> oh, well, I'm so sorry. Ah, sorry. But I won't. <laughs> it was... but... No, we don't actually. You know why? Because he's an absolutely thoroughly decent human being. So he doesn't play all that nastiness. Well, steady on. All right. You're now ruining what, what little of a career I've got left. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's... No, I mean, it's, it's the, the atmosphere is not great. I mean, actually, not in the House of Commons, because there is, there is a lot of cross-party stuff that happens and cross-party working, especially at the moment with this EU withdrawal bill that's going through. And it's an absolute pleasure to work with people like um, Chukka, Chukka Muna, Chris Leslie. I'm, I like Chris Leslie a great deal. He's a Nottingham MP like I am. Uh, Stephen Doughty is another really great guy. Uh, and then we work with the SNP, work with Steve Geffins. He's a, he's a terrific guy. His majority is even smaller than yours, darling, isn't it? And, and Ada was on my Scottish Affairs Committee, a very assiduous member too. Oh, I love that. And she that. always referred to me as Mr. Wishart. Mr. Wishart. Yes. I, know I always want to call him just like Wishart. It's a great name. It's a great name. You what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. I, I said I know what Theresa May feels like now, just having you <laughs> on my committee. <laughs> That was good fun. We did have some good fun on that. So you were on the Scottish Affairs Select Committee? Yeah, I couldn't find anybody else. (laughs) (laughs) And because I once lived in Scotland. (laughs) And I was once married to somebody who's Scottish. (laughs) And that was the first thing Anna told me. I think the only reason I'm on your committee, Pete, is because I was married to somebody who was a Scotsman. So I thought, well, I'll I'll settle for that. Even then he was only half Scottish. (laughs) Sorry. You basically uh, once had a can of iron brew. And that... <laughs> so have you been north of the border? Yeah, you have. Great, get on the committee. 
No, I have an affinity with Scotland, genuinely. I mean, I'm, I am the, about the only... This is, this is actually true. I think I'm the only English Tory that won an election in Scotland. And I won the... Um, it, it's the equivalent of being um, the uh, Chancellor, uh, Rector of uh, oh, yes. Stirling University. Aware, yes. I was Honorary President, so it's like rect- the Rector of the University rather, not the Chancellor. Uh, and I won it as an English Tory. It was quite bizarre. It was back in 1981 because Jack McConnell, who was the first minister ever of Scotland, reminded me the other day that he, he and I first met in 1981. And he was elected president and I was elected honorary president. And that's what really took me to Scotland. And I lived there for about three or four years and then came back to Nottingham. God's own land. That's a great place, Nottingham. So when you go back to Nottingham now, what are your yeah. constituents saying about the government. Uh, oh, I was often using language like this in a public place. Um, I, I just everybody's fed up. They are. Yeah. They're fed up with Brexit. Fed up. They just want somebody to come along, provide a nice safe ship that they, with a, ca- a strong captain on the wheel, with some sort of destination, whether it's Norway or whatever, who they can, everybody can get on board and they can get on with it and stop all this messing about and squabbling. And what is undoubtedly a complete shambles, and it is, it's a mess. It may begin to get sorted out now, but it, it, there are very simple solutions to this. It's on the shelf, you can take it down, tweak it a bit, call it Norway. Stay. I mean, obviously, I want to sustain the customs union and the single market, but you know, I'll take Norway or EFTA or something like that. And the real, the real madness of it all is that the majority of MPs would take it as well. So, do you do you talk to Theresa May at all? I had a meeting with her in September. And how did that go? It was. It's fascinating because, <laughs> well, it is really because when you go into number ten and you know you go through certain procedures and you know there is a sort of you're on your best behaviour and everything else. And she was there, but and this is before the party conference, of course. And I. You know, I just think life's not great for her, for all mm. the reasons that you all know about. Um, and I think she, you know, I think it's been really tough for her. And, but she's there, and I think she's there genuinely because she feels a sense of duty. Because I don't think she's there for any other reason. She feels, I've, I've taken on this thing, and I've got to see it through now. And was the meeting about Brexit, or is yes. it just reaching out? No, Brexit, yeah, everything's bloody Brexit. <laughs> and one-on-one? No, no, I went there with the usual suspects that have now grown to be this wonderful band of Brexit mutineers. Well, that's what the Telegraph called you. They put you on the front page. And it's led to something like 13 death threats coming to your constituency office. I mean, how... When you saw that front page, what was your initial reaction? When I first saw it, I think it was... Somebody on the Labour benches actually raised it. It might have been West Streeting or somebody raised it in the house and said, this is all happening. And then we, we looked at this and we thought... Oh, these photographs are quite interesting because we all seem to be wearing the same colours, which we thought was hilarious. We're all in navy and cream, apart from Ken. Ken's got some funny tie on, and of course he hasn't done up his top button, you know, typical Ken. But they've done it. And it Ken looked, Clark. Ken Clark, yeah. But it, they've done it all. There is only one Ken. But they, they've done it, so it... it, it <laughs> but they've done it, so it, it looked like we were all, you know, we all looked really respectable, and it was all beautifully laid out, and there's Sir Oliver Heald. I mean, Oliver Heald. I mean, he is a, like Greg Knight, he is a knight of the realm. He is a Tory grandee. And there he was as this Brexit mutineer who get a thwart Brexit, steal your Brexit away from you. <laughs> and, and Oliver's gone, oh, 
oh, I'm getting down with the kids here. It's rather cool. I think he rather liked it. Oh, it's the most stupid thing that they could possibly have done. Completely backfired. Because now we've become an identifiable group. And in fact, people... And we did this letter um, yesterday. And now colleagues are coming up and saying, I, I, I want to sign the letter. Can I sign it? And suddenly what started off as a band of about me and Nicky Morgan has now gone to... Then went to six then went to the, the mutineers who were about 15 and is now 20 and the rest. And is there, have you got a WhatsApp group called the mutineers? No, we should have actually. One of our numbers found some hideous pic, uh, photographs on um, pullovers, you know, with sort of <laughs> swashbucklers on it and all this. Sort of, it's completely ridiculous. So, um, yeah, there's that sort of... But no, we don't have a mutineers <laughs> we should WhatsApp do. group. No, we have... Brand it. Oh, I think we do actually. I think you get a bit of merch sense. going. Yeah, we could do all we that. We could do, yeah, yeah. No, we did think of... Because, you know, when in the last parliament, there were a group of us who used to get told off by the Speaker, Burko. Yeah, called Rough Trade. No, no, no. no. That's what Tim Lawton told no, me. No, no, well, he would do. But, no, no, it, we, were, we, were, we were bollocked by Burko. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So we were three Bs bollocked by Burko. And uh, somebody, I think Simon Burns, had little badges made with three Bs on them. And we wore them, but we didn't dare wear them. We had to wear them inside jackets and things. And sort of flash them at the speaker. <laughs> it's pathetic, really. But we thought it was hilarious. Bollocked by Burko, three Bs. So we might do some mutiny. <laughs> Going with patches over our eyes and Paris <laughs> on the shoulder. It's a good look. It's a good look. But it could help. Uh, so, in the meeting, so you, you're there with however many mutineers, and is Teresa relaxed in the meeting? Is she awkward? No, no, no. As usual? Matt, don't tell anybody. <laughs> she, she's never relaxed. No, don't so. Don't tell it, anybody, but no, no. But did she try and say, hi guys, God, all this Brexit stuff, anyone want a whiskey? <laughs> <laughs> now, let's think about it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's, no, she's, she keeps herself to herself, and she's quite a private person. Okay, so what? She says, come in, but I'm not going to talk to you. <laughs> no, she's sort of... It, no, it's, it's quite interesting, because you, you go in, and she's already there, and yeah. and she, de- she doesn't do the, hey, come on in, sit down, sort of thing. Yeah. And actually, if I may say, that, to me, says everything about what's gone horribly wrong after the referendum. Because what should have happened after the referendum was that bit, I was going to do that, but I can't, because I've got this mic. But I'll hold it for what, you. But what she should have done is that, and hugged back in a, a very divided nation. You know, 48% of those people that voted did not vote for this thing. Mm. And that 48% has basically been told to sod off. You are not wanted. You, you, you count for nothing. You know, people like my mother, born and bred and workshop, never lived anywhere else than North Nottinghamshire, is a member of the, le- mid- what's it, the, med- member of the Liberal metropolitan elite you know which part of that did she most take objection to because she voted remain liberal metropolitan workshop's a great place but not exactly you know metropolitan elite i mean it's outrageous and and that's how people were made to feel you're nothing and nobody you're a citizen of nowhere uh, and you're a lime oh dear lord and that's what the big mistake that was made. People should have been hugged back in. Right, guys, let's all come back together and let's make this thing work. But bringing everybody on board and getting something that we can all sign up to. Just let's take a straw poll on uh, on how people voted in the referendum. <laughs> just just to get here's, a sort of litmus here's test. Here's a surprise. I wonder what it's going uh, to give be. Give me a cheer uh, if you voted remain. Yeah. Give me a cheer if you voted leave. <laughs> oh, oh, Greg did. Yeah, yeah. Of course, Greg. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 
Uh, not the most accurate poll, um, but then... <laughs> which no, ones really, are? it's really, really noticeable. You'll know this. I don't know if you've been up to Nottingham. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, Nottingham was just out, just leave. It was about 50.5%, maybe 51 but uh, a big, big difference when you're here in London to what it's like in places like Nottingham and the rest of the country. So there's lots of really, really fed-up, angry Remainers in, in London. But when I go back, when I go home, there's the, there are not that many angry Remainers. And actually, it's a feature of Remainers. We're, we're very reasonable, you know, sensible, tolerant people. Uh, no, seriously. <laughs> and I think, you know, that they, there has been an acceptance. And that was the thing about the general election. I don't know what the other boys found. was in the general election, the people would say, look, you know, this has been this, been this vote. Now we've got to get on and do it, but we've got to do it in the right way. So there weren't that many angry... Certainly in Broxtow, there weren't that many angry Remainers. No, I mean, do you think there is something in that? Is there... Um, maybe it's not for me to say, but, you know, are centrists, you know, um, are Blairites just more reasonable, sensible, more intellectual people? No, you see, you've kind of spawn, spoilt it now by using the B word. Do you think that's tarnished? I think, I think, look, I think we're really honest about this. And, no, if you voted leave, you are not an extremist by any means. Because lots of people who are completely sensible, reasonable people voted leave. And people like Greg. And people like Greg Knight voted leave. No, no. So, but I think in British politics at the moment, let's be very honest about this, you have got the two main parties, one definitely in the hands of the absolute extreme, which is Corbyn um, and his merry gang, and then you've got a Tory party that, if we're not careful, will drift to another extreme. And, and the argument that I make is that there are millions and millions of people at the moment who actually don't feel any political party represents them. Yeah. That is really bad, and that's not right. So does that mean, if the, if the two parties don't budge, that we need something else? Well, I don't know what's going to happen with it. Look, I'll be very blunt about the Labour Party, right? There's a whole load of perfectly sensible, great young people that have gone and joined for three quid the Labour Party, and a lot of them are Remainers. And at some point, they are going to wake up to the harsh reality that Jeremy Corbyn is not going to deliver Remain. He's a proper old leftist who was always opposed to our membership of the, the old um, common market and all the rest of it. He, that's why he on, only gave, what was it, 7.7.5 out, out of 10. He, he, he's a Brexiteer. He's always been a Brexiteer. Uh, and there's a lot of these youngsters who are going to be, hopefully, will going to wake up and be, hugely disabused of the idea that he is going to deliver Remain. If he's going to do anything, he would have delivered Brexit. You know, it's the Kevin Brennans of this world. Don't tell him I said this, but you know, these are the sensible Labour people, and they would do a bloody good job of making sure that we got something sensible. Bloody hell. The, I know, it's the end of his career. You actually have to be quite careful about, you know, paying, paying people compliments at the moment in the Labour Party, because they're terrified of getting deselected by momentum. <laughs> Uh, Kevin, of course, is a shadow minister as well. Is he? Oh, shit. <laughs> sorry, Kevin. I was. <laughs> no, I still am. Yeah. Are you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Well, remember, I shadowed you for a while. Anna, you did. You uh... were very good. Too bloody good for my liking. <laughs> so what were you... What was, what was, well, firstly, what he's... was Kevin like as an opponent across oh, the dispatch box? He's a complete bugger. In what way? Because he's, he's very good at it. <laughs> and would so you... He gives you a hard time. <laughs> did it ever get personal between you? No, not at all. I mean, we were, uh, we were, at the time, there was a lot of um, problems the with the steel industry. industry. 
And I was just, and, and fairness to Anna, I think she was, she was trying to do her job as a minister, but it was my job to hold her feet to the fire and Bloody to right. put pressure on her and to make sure we saved Port Talbot Steelworks. And in the, end, um, in the end, we did. So yeah. it was, uh, you know, that's what politics is all about. It was a huge achievement, that, actually. Yeah. I have to say, as someone who enjoys pragmatism in politics and people having friends in other parties, that was a very disappointing answer. <laughs> I really wanted there to be beef there. Um, but you're, too, you're both too pleasant for that, aren't you? No, I think the thing was, actually, on the steel crisis, was that David Cameron made it absolutely clear that Port Talbot was not closing. And, and there was this magic moment. Have I told you this story? There's this mag- Have I told you this story? I'm not sure. No, there was this magic moment when there was... I don't repeat anything. I haven't heard it yet. <laughs> when we were sitting, there used to be this sort of uh, brains sort of storming thing. Yeah. Um, a meeting. A meeting. No, no. But this was where we were really trying to find solutions to this real problem with Port Talbot. And, and my line was always, just buy it. Buy it for a quid. And uh, we were, we'd been up this hill and down this dell trying to find a solution to this real problem with Port Talbot and it's securing its future. And I said, I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to have to say it. Buy it for a quid. At which point, Oliver Letwin, who's to chair this meeting, went, well, I, I, think, I think she could be right, actually. I think we should, we should buy it for a quid. I, 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 I've I, got I, a quid. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> At which point, Greg Hans, who was that point, uh, he was very big in the Treasury. He just went, I've never seen a man's face actually drain of blood. And he just went, have I just actually heard? It suggested and agreed we might buy a steelworks for a pound. And Oliver went... Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, absolutely. Maybe we shouldn't be doing that. But, I mean, with these, all these things were genuine options that we, would, we discussed. Nationalisation? Yeah, who, uh, yeah. who would have thought it? Who would have thought it? Absolutely right there. Absolutely. Does that mean that David Cameron's more left-wing than Jeremy Corbyn? No, I think he, would just, he, just, he understood the value... Oh, I'm answering that. He understood the value of, of, of the steel industry to the country, genuinely. And so he got the deal in Scunthorpe, and that was brilliant, because he'd said he didn't want Scunthorpe to go. But Port Talbot was just like, that is a, you know, use this awful phrase, red line. That is a red line. Port Talbot is not going to close. It was brilliant. And, and it hasn't, and it's doing well, isn't it, Ken? Um, oh, it's all right then, all right, okay. Fingers crossed, yeah, so oh, far. But, but just, um, it's amazing. <laughs> we're not out of the woods yet. I love the oh, fact you no, were too, he was too engaged there having a beer. <laughs> Already on it. Typical. These Labour boys. Labour, Drinking beer. <laughs> Far too normal. Um, what's your tipple of choice? Well, actually, this red wine, I don't often drink red wine, but that is gorgeous. That's from that the House Red. Merlot. No, it's a Merlot. Highly recommended. Uh, it is a Christmas show. I should have asked you, have you put your Christmas tree up yet? No, um, it's what? coming tomorrow. Uh, it'll go up tomorrow, and okay. I shall decorate it on Saturday with my other half, who would undoubtedly abolish Christmas. You know, he's out there somewhere. You're going out with Oliver Cromwell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, you know that line in, um, you know that line in Robin. Don't I'm take him to one. Ireland, fuck. So. <laughs> How sanded sick do you think Tories really are, Matt? <laughs> but um, no, you know that line in um, Robin Hood when he goes. The sheriff goes, well, cancel Christmas. That's what Neil would do, cancel Christmas. No. I know, it's awful, isn't it? What, why does he like Christmas? Though. He's from Loughborough. So, so. <laughs> so, so. It doesn't really happen there, does yeah, it? it does. He is a forest fan, though. Oh, good on him. Oh, there you go. There's one tree There's that he the likes. There's the other one. Yeah. Oh, oh, excellent. Two. There's a few forest fans in tonight. No, I've become a lifelong supporter of Notts County. Don't say this shit, because you told me you were a forest fan a few years ago. No, I do. I will. In fact, we it's going to get you watched, in trouble, you know. We haven't, watched for, we haven't watched Forest since they played Leeds. And you know the song, One of Your Own? 
Yeah. And all the Forest fans were singing, one of your own. He's one of your own. He's one of your own, that Jimmy Savile. He's one of your own. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't at that game. Uh, (laughs) And I was at the game when they played Derby. And the Forest fans (laughs) got the sheep's heads and threw them into the pubs in Derby. Yeah, I mean, there there are a few guys who are not representative of (laughs) the Forest movement as a whole. I think most people who know Forest fans know that they are peaceful people, (laughs) that Forest is a creed of peace, and they are not, they use our name to radicalise. Yeah, yeah. Other people. Yeah, they're all they're all old men. As well. <laughs> they are. That's the other thing. But there is, and you, they're the worst. There is YouTube now, footage. Now you've got to come to Meadow Lane. You've got to come to no. see County. 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 Go right down to County, and you get all these people now, and they're all going, "Hey, what's going on? We're bloody winning. What do we do? Because <laughs> they they are winning. I I watched them for five years. They know, I never saw them win one. <laughs> No. And now you go along and they're winning. You can see all the, all the fans sort of sitting there going, we bloody won again, what are we going to do? Honestly, I'm, it's I'm very absolutely brilliant. I'm marvelous. delighted for them, but it is kind of like the Lib Dems. I want them to do well to a point. <laughs> they're going up. Well, they're doing very well. Uh, no, you mentioned they're going to go up. They're going to, they're really well, I hope they do. Well. No, it's brilliant. I hope they do. I want them to, it's almost like being an England fan when Wales are doing well. You want them to do well, but not against us. As well as, but no better. <coughs> That's fair enough, isn't it? No. <laughs> but, but how do you feel towards England then, Kev, when there's a, you know... Well, it's not my team, is it? Okay, but you'd, you'd want... For English friends, you'd want England to do well in a World Cup, wouldn't you? It's not my team, really. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell! Oh, my God. Well, I've never... Uh, such division tonight. Just, just as well they didn't ask me that. <laughs> oh, now that's who you should really ask. Oh, fuck that right up. I should have gone Pete, straight to Pete. Pete. Um, well, you mentioned Jeremy Corbyn earlier. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, Jeremy Corbyn's politics are, uh, are under the microscope like never before. And there's a sense that there's a genuine desire, maybe a, a mass movement, who desire left-wing politics, of course. Our next guest is someone who, when he ran the JLC and stood for City Hall, was arguably the most prominent and powerful left-wing politician in Britain for a very long time. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ken Livingston. Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're, just before we do uh, proceed with Ken... When are we opening f- the wine? Oh, uh, well, they're, they're <laughs> um, gifts for the audience, but um, <laughs> if anyone would like to win a half-drunk bottle of uh, Tanglefoot later... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, just before we do proceed, MP4 are going to leave us, but they're going to come back later in the show to play us out. So please, just for now, give it up for the wonderful MP4! Ken, welcome to the show. Uh, we've been talking about Jeremy Corbyn, no doubt. You, you heard some of that conversation uh, backstage. Do you think he is uh, more than likely going to be our next Prime Minister? Yes, I do. I mean, actual fact, if you look back, I was wandering around doing endless bloody meetings and uh, interviews on radio and TV from the moment he got elected leader, saying I thought he could win the next election. Um, everyone thought I was mad. But I've been through the same thing. When I became the leader of the GLC, I, that the night I became leader of the GLC, Thatcher made a speech in Scotland saying, I was going to impose on Londoners the sort of tyranny the people of East Europe live under. 
A few months later, when we cut the fares by 30%, the Daily Mail said this was the first step towards a full communist economy. And Tory central office was briefing the press that I'd been at a gay bar in the East End where I'd been buggered by six men in succession. So my poll ratings went down <laughs> to about 18%. But then three years later, just, they, they had to abolish the GLC election because we were heading towards a landslide. Anna Subri's ears have pricked up. Um, <laughs> well, I hope to God it's not true. I'm no, sure it's only fine. <laughs> <laughs> but bear in mind, back in 1981, that wasn't the vote winner it would be today. No. No. <laughs> Why? Um, I don't know what to say, Ken. Um, there, is, there, is a, there is a sense, though, that, that whatever you would call it, the hard left, maybe that's not a phrase that you would use, but uh, Nick Clegg was here last night saying, you know, this is fantasy economics. You know, Jeremy Corbyn and, and, the, and people like John McDonald and yourself are, are making these promises that they know could never be delivered. I mean, do you think, actually, if Corbyn was really ambitious, he could turn Britain into, say, a socialist state? Well, look, I mean... What Jeremy is saying is what I've been saying in all my political career and John McDonnell. The, the, the key to economic success isn't cutting taxes on the rich or on giant corporations. It isn't smashing the unions. It's investing. And if you actually look, that post-war period, the Labour government under Attlee set a, a real programme of public sector investment that modernised our infrastructure, it attracted private sector investment. And by 1973, because when the Tories got in, they carried on with that policy, we had our highest level of investment ever, 20% of our economy going into investment. Germany was doing better, they did 25%. And then when Thatcher came to power, she changed all that. But we look back at it now. Are we better off today than we were then? So many people have been left behind. So many, mil, eight, no, six million jobs or eight million, I can't remember now, wiped out in manufacturing. And people voted for Brexit because they're angry. I mean, I grew up in a world where everything got better all the time. No one can say that today. But the key is investment. And if you actually look, Crossrail, which will open in about a year's time, Boris, I mean, didn't keep to the, the timetable. I when I had to get the Labour government to give me £5 billion to start building that, I could actually prove that the increase in taxes coming in after it was built would be three times that. And that's the key to investment. It, it puts people into work. It makes your economy more efficient. Our economy is limping along pathetically. That's why I mean, the Tories almost lost the election. If they'd lost seven more seats, Jeremy would be in Downing Street. Well, do you, Anna, obviously, ideologically, you, you, you disagree, I, I presume, with what, what Ken's saying, but is there any of that that, as, even as a Conservative, you <coughs> agree with, that you do actually need a level of, say, capital expenditure by the state to, to drive growth? Well, we do, and that's why we're putting all the billions of pounds that we are. We're investing in our railways on a scale that's not been yeah. since, seen since the Victorian times. Look, so HS2 is coming, as you know. Um, through Toton, and that will be where the East Midlands hub will be in my constituency. And what's bizarre is that is that Ken's breed of Labour are opposed to HS2, the biggest investment, a new line that will link the great cities, especially in the north, and from the Midlands up to the north. I'm in favour of HS2. Oh, yeah, I wish you'd tell Dennis, because Dennis Skinner's opposed to it. Yeah, because the north isn't... I mean, London's got quite... One of the reasons London's economy has grown dramatically, and, I mean, about another 2 million people have moved here in the last 20 years, is because we got more investment than anywhere else in Britain. I got billions out of the Labour government, a massive expansion of our transport system, 8,000 new buses, all 
all the investment in the Olympics. But if you're up in the north, people have been talking about that new railway line from Liverpool to Manchester to Leeds and York for, I think, 50 bloody years. Yeah, but that's a different... That, that, that obviously goes across Pennine, and, and you're right. East-West mm. is always a problem. Yeah. If you're over in places like Kings Lynn or you're in Norwich, there's always a problem East-West. Mm. I'm talking about HS2, which absolutely delivers <clears throat> a brand-new <throat> line that will link London to Birmingham, then to <clears throat> Sheffield and Leeds, and obviously on the West Coast, the other part of the Y. And I'm afraid a load of your guys are very much opposed to it. Well, I think if you're a northern MP, Dennis's. you just feel... Well, when you say northern Dunnies, you mean north of Watford? No, I, I mean anywhere near Dennis Skinner. He's in Derbyshire. <laughs> well, it's not anything north of Watford, really. Yeah. Mm. So, um, loving the train chat. <laughs> um, I'm into trains. But, I'm into trains, but, but, heavily. Does Ken not make an interesting point about Brexit? But there's oh, a sense no, Brexit... Of, but, but about I anger, love but, this idea. No, I love this idea. I heard this from somebody else who said, oh, Brexit was all... It was a vote against austerity. And I said, no, really? Not in the real world, mate. Let me take you to parts of my constituency. It's nothing to do with bloody austerity. It, as you know, Matt, the biggest driver for, for most Leave voters, especially, you know, I keep saying this to people, look at the result in Nottingham. And the biggest Leave areas were white, predominantly white working class areas, but it was about immigration. And, and then, you know, you go to Mansfield, you go to Ashfield, these are places you know, huge vote um, for Leave, and it was a vote about immigration. How many immigrants have they got in places like Mansfield, Kirkby and Sutton in Ashfield? Probably about five. I'm not exaggerating. In the areas where there are the least number of immigrants, that was the yeah. biggest Leave vote. And that's one of the reasons why in London, people in London voted Remain, because you know the huge benefits that immigration mm. has conveyed on this great city. But the point I was going to make was that Ken, uh, Ken so made a point about anger, and actually... Oh, it, there was uh, that. There the, was anger. But I was going to make a point about Jeremy Corbyn. Isn't, isn't the sort of state of play at the moment a, a symptom of the fact that people <clears> are angry, they feel the world is unfair, and actually the Tories aren't really alive or awake or seem to be listening to people in the I same way I don't use Corbyn's. the word angry, but I think what Jeremy did do was that he offered people a vision and his, mm. the, his vision of hope. He offered people hope. No debate about that. And the huge mistake that was made in the Conservative Party campaign was, A, it didn't talk about the economy and the achievements, and then it didn't set out a vision. <clears throat> I mean, and even something like actually providing two free school dinners for the least well-off kids in our society somehow got translated to the fact we were going to cut school, free school dinners. That's what a crap campaign we ran. So, no, it's true. And we didn't offer people a vision of hope. We didn't offer anything positive, just like the Remain campaign. The Remain campaign was hugely defensive. There was nothing positive about it. We never spoke positively about the huge brilliance of the benefits of being a member of the EU. Uh, William Hague made a point when I interviewed him a few months ago, and he said... Um, name dropper. <clears throat> he said... Uh, well, name dropper. He was against all of ourselves. I ran his house. It was very good. I'm friend, impressed. Look, I'm impressed. Sure, he's a friend of the show. He's a friend of the show. Um, he said, well, uh, you very rarely fight the... You very rarely fight the same election twice. <laughs> but that's a good point, isn't it? Isn't this the point that Corbyn maybe has had a high watermark, Ken, but the conditions won't be as favourable again? 
Well, I think they'll be more favourable because the economy is limping along. We've just seen these bloody great fare increases that are coming on the railway, whilst our wages are dripping on, you know, what, what, one, just over 1% increase a year? I mean, literally, nothing between now and the next election is going to see the economy getting better. So people are going to be even more angry at the next election. And I, I, I think you're right, you had a crap campaign, but that was largely... <laughs> Because at the beginning, you, uh, the Tory party assumes it's going to be a landslide. I mean, they well, believed we knew all the this polls, crap. that's why. Well, you, you, but the polls... I, can I just tell you, yeah. in, in the, sorry, in my w- real world, uh, we had the county council elections, mm. and so I knew mm. what was going on the doorstep because mm. I'm one of those that goes out, knocks on the door, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Yeah. And we were doing really, really, really mm. well. And the yeah. real story was that we did have that. There was a genuine lead there, and we threw mm. it away. That was the real story. And so, it was there, and we... we you, the local elections out. just you know, six weeks before went very well for the Tories. Extremely well. But the moment you hit the general election, the law requires radio and TV have to give them equal coverage, and uh, Jeremy's able to set his agenda, and we were focusing on the things he was doing. Before that, we'd had 18 months of endless interviews about, are you going to wear a white poppy? Are you going to bow to the Queen? I mean, we weren't able to get across the economic strategy that Jeremy was talking about. No, you, know, you were lucky that people didn't actually know and understand your economic strategy, because if they did, they wouldn't vote for you. Yeah, um, no, they do. Um, t- t- I mean, t- I'm so really sorry, wouldn't. it connected with people. I mean, ah, that's a different mm. matter. As a human being, mm. absolutely, I agree. Mm. And I think the thing that did happen <clears> was that the, one of the big mistakes was that... You know, and I, I put my hands up to this, because so, I wrote, and I always write my own literature... But I, you know, I wrote this thing about um, Jeremy Corbyn's, um, well, actually John McDonald's links uh, with the IRA. And, and, of course, for a whole swathe of our population, that meant absolutely nothing. In fact, IRA meant that guy who died, who shook that, the Queen shook his hand, Martin yeah. McGuinness. So, you know, stuff like that just didn't resonate. And the more that people saw of Jeremy, he actually grew. I mean, this is a guy who's been on the back benches. The biggest decision he's ever had to make in his political career is, you know, what will the veggie option be at the, at the meeting, the annual meeting of the Islington Labour Party? And genuinely, that is a fact. He's never been a shadow minister or anything else. That is and, a fact. But that's a fact. That is a fact. And, but, I mean, he's, he's, he, he's, he, always used to, he always used to be in this... He obviously just put his tie on before he came in the chamber. And he always used to be in the back up there and he'd ask some obscure question about the Outer Mongolian basket weavers or whatever. And it suddenly became, well, it's your turn to become, you know, the, the hard-left candidate for the leadership of the Labour Party. Oh, all right, Diane won't do it, I'll do it. And fuck me, he goes and wins. And, and actually, to be totally fair to him, he has grown into the position. And he has. And, and, and my story, my perfect example of all of this, of how bad it all was, was that The One Show, OK, I'm not a regular viewer of The One Show, I held my hands up to that, but Theresa May goes on The One Show with Philip May, yeah. and they talk about boys' jobs, at which point at least, what, three-quarters of the audience goes, what? Boys' jobs, 2017. Boys' jobs, putting out the bins. And they look a bit, well, Philip and Theresa. <laughs> and what does Jeremy Corbyn do when he goes on? He goes on and says, I've got this jam. I made it. I grow stuff on my allotment and I've got a jar of my jam. Yeah. Would you like it? And at that point, everybody goes, oh, what a lovely guy. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> and I, to me, I, that just says everything about the personality side 
of the campaign. And he looked, I mean, most people don't make their own jam from the allotment, but he looked like a warm, rather cuddly, elderly uncle with his jar of jam. Can I just say, I mean, years ago, me and my wife were at a St. Patrick's Day dinner and Jeremy was on our table. And on the way home, my wife said, that's the nicest man I've ever met in my life. And he is genuinely... I bet you're a bit pissed off about that. (laughs) (laughs) No one's one's ever accused me of being nice. Look at all the people I had to eliminate. She's your wife, love. (laughs) (laughs) But Anna makes a good point, doesn't she, about... About the way in which no, he is in the, look, he's, people have he's campaigned nice against Jeremy Corbyn, that. and you, you raise, you, but you raise the question of some of the company that people have kept, mm. and um, you know, uh, people say it's a distasteful company, but um, you know, the IRA defend their right to talk to John McDonnell, and uh, <laughs> they they have that right. I, I mean, Ken, you you were one of the people in the eighties that was that was talking to, to Sinn Fein yeah. and, and and talking to Jerry Adams, deeply controversial at the time. Obviously, we know that peace was achieved through Good Friday, but but at the time, what you were doing was. Was, was very controversial. Oh, God, I got death threats, I'd be attacked. But you back, what was happening in 1981, about twice a year there'd be a horrific bomb go off in London, i.e. killing lots of Londoners. And Thatcher's line was, we're not going to talk to the IRA because it's not about politics, they're just psychopaths and criminals. And when I met Jerry Adams, I mean, he immediately said, just about 1982, 83, I mean, we know we can never defeat the British Army. But you can't defeat us either. When the British Army shoots a couple of IRA members, we get another 20 people apply to join. And we know there's got to be a negotiation. So back in 82, Adams was saying, we're prepared to sit down and negotiate. Thatcher wouldn't deal with that. And I suppose perhaps Blair's biggest achievement, because he came to this without any background about politics in Ireland. He just saw it as a problem, brought people together and resolved it. And it's been, I think, his, his best legacy. In terms of the criticism that people level at Jeremy is that, yes, he definitely did talk to Jerry, you know, Jerry Adams and others, yeah. as you did before it was uh, fashionable, for want of a better word. But one of the criticisms that's levelled at him is that he was only talking to one side, that actually people like you and Jeremy almost were on the side of the Republican movement. I mean, basically, Jeremy's got a substantial, or did have, I suspect it's not so, so large now, but a substantial Irish Catholic community is constituency. I did in mine. And I knew the discrimination that Irish Catholics in Northern Ireland were suffering. It was a, not as bad as the way blacks were treated in the Deep South in the 50s and 60s, but it was discrimination. And the first time I went there to meet Jerry Adams, and I was wandering around West Belfast, and I was stunned. It was like Britain after the war. It was so squalid and run down. And so it was about politics. It was about discrimination. And what's amazing is there'd been such a long period of time before the violence started. They were were blowing people up. That's what they did. Yeah, and they did. And if you. They they murdered people. And you either stopped. Innocent people. And also, we were murdering some people. I met British soldiers who were in the... Uh, the British soldiers were taken in to defend no, no. the Catholic community. That, that, in 68, when the soldiers that, went in, the it was first, to defend the Catholic That's why they community. were sent in. But then you had things like the, the killing of the Miami Show Band, the most popular band in Ireland. A, a British officer, Captain Narek, led a group of uh, 
you can't you, defend Nils. the IRA. I'm just telling you, there's, in a war, terrible things are done yeah, on both sides. He led people over at the border. They stopped the car that Miami Show Band was in. They shot them dead. And they did that because this is 1975. The I mean, right wing were worried that if Wilson had negotiated a deal, he'd have called another election and actually got a working majority. See, and they the were to kill. You, Ken, you always make everything into simplistic political terms. Mm. And actually what you strip out of that is the human side of things. Well, I think and killing you a cannot defend, pop stars is a pretty... You uh, cannot defend the IRA. Nobody can ever defend the IRA. I don't defend them. No, well, it sounds I like the, it. What I denounce, though, is the fact that... You met them. You didn't go and meet the Protestant families that were being... You know, you, you only have to listen I, to Lady Herman's me. speech the other day in Parliament who was talking about innocent farmers who would open mm. their barn door and find mm. that they got their heads blown off yes. by this bunch of murdering thugs. They were that, and they were psychopathic. The man who was... A, and what turned it for me was Ian Paisley, because I thought, oh, I'd never had an awful lot of time for this. Not surrender and all, you know, mm. I'm not into all of that shit. But when he said he could forgive them, yeah. I thought, if he could forgive them... I will follow that because, you know, my, my generation, we didn't live in Ireland, but we saw a lot of this horror and it was very, very, very real for us because it was on our TV screens. I'm not and defending I'm anyone killing anyone. I'm denouncing the fact that we went through decades where we could have done a peace deal and the killing could have stopped sooner because I, I remember each year, back in the early 90s, I used to be invited to go to the army training um, college down at, um, I can't remember where it is now, and... I would do a, you know, a speech about my approach to the Irish problem. Then there'd be a, 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 a Conservative or a, 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 an Ulster Unis MP give their side. And the, the officers would get up and they would tear apart I, the Conservatives saying, why won't you negotiate with the IRA? Why are my men being killed? Because you refuse to talk. And that's what I denounce. I mean, if... When Jeremy Corbyn, uh, when Jerry Adams met Jeremy Corbyn and me in the early 80s and said he was prepared to negotiate, if the government had done that then, a thousand less lives would have been lost. A thousand more people would have died on both sides uh, because the British government wouldn't negotiate. And Blair got in, it was all over in a couple of years. Well, this is the, I mean... Uh, no I thought it was supposed to be a light-hearted... Well, yeah, well, it's light-hearted in places and, and, and serious in others, and it, it's fine to have a mix. Um, when, when you um, met Jerry Adams for the first time, I mean, is he a, an intimidating individual? No, I mean, he's quite a normal guy. I mean, there's nothing particularly, no amazing sort of part of his personality or psychology or anything like that. I mean, he was a kid who'd grown up in a pretty grim community um, and got caught up. Don't forget, until the, the Protestant police in Northern Ireland started rioting, which you, you mentioned, and troops went in, up until then, it had just been a, you know, a, a really quite grim but quiet. It wasn't violence. And but there have been gangsters as well, we're, we're, we're quite apart from the sectarian element of it. You, did you not think, fucking hell, you know, I'm prepared to meet some people, but this guy's a bit far. I mean, if you're, if you're in politics, yeah. you have to meet some pretty appalling people all over the place. I mean, Look and, at if me when you're, <laughs> and if you're in government, you have to, I mean, you have to negotiate with some I mean, psychopaths. You weren't in government, and you, did you meet all these horrible, extreme Protestants who were also um, embarked upon a reign of terror as well? Well, Did you from, meet them? 
Well, no, because in actual fact they that? took a decision to assassinate me, so that wouldn't have been a good idea. <laughs> I, they... You see how it works out? You always, it's funny, isn't it? Because the left always meet the, these particular groups. You never meet the other side. Well, from the moment like I the became... Of this well, world. from the moment I became an MP, I actually got on very well with Paisley. I, he actually got up and defended me well, after my maiden speech. I don't think Ian with somebody who's planting bombs under people's cars. No, it? but a lot of people on... think Jerry Adams was? I, well, I mean, the question is, were you just going to sit there and allow that to go on for decades more, or were you going to try and bring it to an end? But and you I... didn't. The person who brought it to an end, as you rightly yeah. identify, was actually Blair. I mean, he, uh, and others, and John Major, who actually laid down yeah. this groundwork but to bring I these wanted to stop together. the bombings in London. We were getting two horrific bombings a year in the early 80s, and I, I mean, just go sit there and do nothing about it? I wanted so what to... what did you do? Did you say to him, Jerry, can I give you a tip, mate? Stop bombing London. No, I listened to him saying he was prepared to negotiate and end the, the, the violence. Um, we came back and we, we said that, we made it clear to the public, and Thatcher just turned her back. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On it. Uh, you, you, you rightly said that it's one of Tony Blair's greatest achievements. You and, you and Tony Blair obviously have a, a checkered history. Uh, he, uh, we were never lovers. Uh, <laughs> <no>, outmaneuvered <laughs> you in, in, in 2000 for the nomination to be Labour's candidate for London Mayor. You then outmaneuvered him by becoming London Mayor. And then in the end, you, you kind of agreed for the sake of the Labour Party that you could be a Labour London Mayor, mm. uh, which you won uh, in 2004. A lot of people say that actually during the period that he was Prime Minister and you were London Mayor, mm. you were both pragmatists and had quite a well, sort of positive working relationship. We never talked about the war or anything like that. We just, in all our meetings, we talked about things we agreed on. Like, I wanted to, you know, get massive investment and turn London's economy around. I wanted to, you know, tackle a lot of the, the, the problems like falling police numbers. He wanted Jerry Adams' phone number. <laughs> He'd already sorted that out before I became mayor. And literally, that was the thing. I mean, I, he was amazed once when, oh, yeah, having brought me back into the party, we were launching my re-election campaign, and it was, I, mean, I was announcing we were going to put police patrolling the streets again, which you know, we hadn't had for years. Um, and he was amazed. He completely agreed with that. And, of course, police patrolling streets dis prevents crime and crime numbers fell quite dramatically um and i mean sadly of course that's largely all been cut back now they're not there anymore and crime's going up 
So uh, Blair has become a, a sort of figure to react against on the left. The guy who's reacted against him most and has, has sort of channeled that is Jeremy Corbyn. He's an old friend of yours. Uh, there's plenty of old photos of you together back in the old GLC mm. days. John McDonnell was your deputy yeah. uh, on the GLC. How close a friend is he? Well, I mean, literally, once I became mayor and gave up my parliamentary seat, I mean, I was out of parliament, so I, I was out of touch. I mean, being mayor was pretty much 24-7. Yeah. And bear in mind, I'm about the only politician that has ever inherited nothing. I mean, normally, when you get elected as a, a, a council leader or prime minister, there's a machine that's been there for a century or more. Yeah. I got elected, there was nothing. All the people who run the GLC were dead or retired. And that first term was actually creating the new machine. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, it's amazing. Uh, but it did mean... I mean I remember those press complaints, we haven't seen the mayor, what's he doing, and so on. Well, interviewing lots of buggers to do the job, actually. In terms of your legacy, people will always say the mm. congestion charge. That, that was, uh, as London mayor, that was a, 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 a totemic policy. It lasts, it probably always will. Mm. Millions of people have benefited from, from better air quality. Air quality, obviously, is a big issue now yeah. for Sadiq. What are the things, as, as London mayor, you wish you'd gone further on or, or done differently? Well, actually, the mayor had very, I mean... The, Blair was very nervous about uh, this. So the, the mayor of London, when I was elected, had about one-tenth the powers the mayor of New York has. And when I was brought back into the party, I persuaded Blair we should give the mayor more powers. So yeah, I persuaded him to remove the clause in the, the mayoral bill that had said the mayor will have no responsibility for education, social services or housing. I said the mayor should have responsibility for housing. And so law, uh, law came in giving lots more powers to the mayor, and the key one of that was housing. Um, but it only came in I, from the point of the third election in 2008, which is the one I lost. <laughs> and I, I persuaded Gordon Brown to give me £5 billion, we're going to start building council housing yeah. again. Boris didn't spend a bloody penny on it. So that, that's, I think, the real tragedy of losing that election. We'd have had a proper housing programme by now. How hard... Was it losing to Boris Johnson? Well, very depressing because many of the key appointees I'd made were sacked by Boris and so on. And then they, they, he's just... He had to carry on things which are contractually committed, uh, like Crossrail and so on. But uh, the only thing that wasn't contractually committed that he didn't cancel, and there lots of, there's a new London Bridge coming, there were extensions of you know, the, the, the trains and, and the tubes and things like that. But the only thing he didn't cancel was the bike scheme. Yeah. Right? But then the stupid man, instead of just taking the relatively cheap Paris scheme, went and got one from somewhere in Canada, which bloody sight more expensive. Does it rankle you that they're called Boris bikes? I couldn't give a sod. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not like, but I didn't come into politics because I wanted to be some popular figure. I came into politics because I wanted to do things. Oh, come on. No, no. Every politician's got an ego. It's the difference between ego and actually just wanting to be forever in the bloody media. Yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting about Boris was that uh, when he got elected, I thought, here's this, a, a new version of Thatcher, hardline right-wing is going to send a new agenda. And he really hasn't. It turns out he's not really a politician at all. He should have gone into show business. But he's not right. Boris is not no. right-wing. No. And that's why all that talk about he's going to be the next Tory leader, I mean, most Tory MPs realise that he's not worth having. No, no. Yeah, Boris has blown up big time. Yeah. 
Um, we he's, agree he's on never something. been. No, no, no. He's Boris has always been socially liberal. In fact, I, I went to this um, dinner today with or lunch today with uh, George Osborne, mm. who told a story that just after he got elected, um, I mean, my party very shamed of this. Uh, was doing things whereby um, there was, first of all, do you remember all that stuff about, what was it, um, Clause 28? Where Section 28. Section 8, 28. The Local Government Act. Dreadful, absolutely awful, which positively discriminated against gay people, right? Anyway, mercifully, we finally got rid of it. Mm. But there was, I think, it must have been, I don't know who it was, but anyway, Labour put forward an amendment or something or other mm. to say that gay people should adopt, be able to adopt children. Mm. And the Tory party said, no, no, this is absolutely appalling. And there'll be a three-line whip. And George said there were three MPs that said, we are not going to obey this three-line whip. We're going to vote with the Labour Party. We feel really strongly about them. And who were the three? And they were told, you will have no political career if you vote against this three-line whip. George Osborne, David Cameron and Boris Johnson. So Boris has always been socially liberal. Mm. He just lost the plot when he chose the wrong side on the referendum. And he mm. chose it for his own political advantage. He, he didn't really leave. believe in it. No, he didn't believe in it. Absolutely. And that's why I think for loads of people that that moment they thought, no, absolutely no. They walked away mm. from him because they knew that he blatantly chose Lee for his own purposes, which was to become the next leader. And his big shock was that they went and bloody won. <laughs> well, and their face is the morning gone, after. His face said it all. Oh, yeah. Ashen-faced in the, in mm. the face of victory. Um, Ken, did you talk to him much during the campaign? What was your relationship like with him? I, well, you, know, he, you, you had endless debates, so we would chat and so on. Um, he'd occasionally get angry with me and so on. Um, what for? Oh, I, I'd, I'd be really rude about what he was saying and pin him down and things like that. I, but after he won the second election, after he beat me the second time, he said, I, I, I want to take you out for a meal. And he took me to a local um, restaurant near where he lives chatting about, you know, what I thought about this and that. And I thought, this is wonderful. I'd spend the whole time telling him he's got to start a house-building programme. Um, but all he wanted to talk about was why I'd failed to become Prime Minister. And he was kept saying, yeah, because he, he obviously... Why you had or why he had? No, why I hadn't. Because I think he was saying, I'll make sure I don't repeat Ken's mistakes, you know. <laughs> and that was the whole bloody evening. Why didn't you become Labour leader? Why didn't you become Prime Minister? And what advice did you give him? I... Well, I, I just said, there's not much you do. I, I, I was rising up in the Labour Party just as it was starting moving to the right. And you know, Kinnett you know, adopted a sort of lighter version of Thatcher's policies for the 92 election, changed the rules. So, I mean, before Kinnett changed the rules, anybody, any Labour MP could stand for the leadership. But when Tony, Blair, uh, Tony Benn stood against him, I, he changed the rules so you had to get 20% of MPs. And, I mean... Fortunately for Jeremy, by the time that election came out, it had been reduced to 15%. He could just get in, but I had no chance. 20% 20 of MPs, Labour MPs, were never going to vote for me. No, well, we didn't think 15% were going to vote for Jeremy Corbyn. And (laughs) 80% of the 15% probably wish they hadn't. But uh, Up until the last election. Well, still... um, We'll see what happens. But uh, with, so there's this scene. I, I mean, uh, what restaurant are you in where there's Ken Livingstone and Boris Johnson sat down? I mean, didn't, I mean, the other diners must have it's thought you were looking like Turkish restaurant. Nothing wasn't nothing extravagant. Okay, well, I know, but did no one say fucking? Hell, that's Ken Livingstone and Boris Johnson. No, no. So he sat there. What, what did he have? 
a big... Oh, God, I can't remember what he had to eat. <laughs> well, I was, I'm trying to sort of picture Too it. Too much, it? I should imagine. <laughs> <laughs> He sat there going, Ken, I, you know, I have great respect for what you did, and I, 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 I don't know, I, come on, I, I don't want to, I have great respect for your career. I would like to be Prime Minister, I just, you know, I bloody well, you know, I'm trying to, bloody, yeah, I'll have two more Cobras, please. Uh, I'm trying to understand, Ken, I, I, uh, I, come on, old chap, you, you help me out here. How do I become... Yeah, how do I get through that bloody front door? Uh, you know, whatever. Was he, was he, was he as brazen as that? Oh, thank you. <laughs> more like Actually, you must have been there watching us. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I just wanted to talk about house. You know. And the, the other thing that pissed me off about Boris, that I, after the congestion <laughs> charge worked so well and pollution dropped by about 12%, just before I lost the election to Boris that in 2008, we'd introduced the low emission zone because we wanted to reduce all the pollution from heavy goods, vehicles and things like that. And the first stage had come in, but then Boris just stopped all the others. Otherwise, if he'd carried on by now, we wouldn't have 4,000 Londoners dying every year because of the air quality. Is it almost like... Oh, 40,000, is it? I can't remember. (laughs) Too many, anyway. Uh, Is it almost like American presidents, where actually London mayors are in a, a, a very small club and you ring each other for advice. There's a Labour man now. Has Sadiq mm-hmm. ever come to you for advice on anything? I mean, basically, he's broadly carried on with the... I mean, he's revived the policies. He's got a problem, though. I mean, I got elected as a Labour government was starting to increase public spending. I mean, he's got the problem of the Tory government that's cut local government spending by 40%. So, I mean, he's trying to do all the right things, but he's not going to get this government to give him a load of money to build housing. But is there a kind of former mayor's support group where the no, three of you no. will just, you know, no, say no, this no. is how you sort that out? No, no. I mean, you, the, the, each mayor comes in and brings in a team of people around them I, who then run the machine with them. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not like Parliament at all. No. I, it's, I mean, this is the thing. Blair was in love with it, America and everything. I mean, he'd much rather have been born in America and run for president. I, and so the mayoral system he imposed on London was the American system of an elected executive, whereas prime ministers and council leaders preside over a civil service structure yeah. that runs it. But no, as mayor, you have to bloody run it. I loved it. Uh, the building itself was iconic, the city hall. You said that it looked like a glass testicle. Well, yeah, it's an odd shape, wasn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> I, and I, yeah, I mean, it's fine. I mean, I'm, I didn't care about... I actually loved the old GLC building, yeah. County Hall. That was absolutely... Just, I mean, the Tories built that. I, and I, I just think it's a tragedy that, you know, we couldn't get that back. You were not just opposing uh, the people that you were standing against in the GLC, you became a, 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 a talismanic opponent of Margaret Thatcher in a way that perhaps even the Labour leaders at mm. the time weren't. And that, that, that sort of ac- both sides of the, you know, across the side of the river with a banner on the side. Uh, well, the GLC was abolished uh, in 1986. Um, did you shed a tear? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was painful. I mean, because so many people lost their jobs and. All the good things we were doing, you know, like boosting public transport, all that came to an end. But, I mean, the the defining thing about that period was that I I would never have emerged if the Tory party hadn't started depicting me as this dangerous communist sympathiser and all of that. I mean, previous GLC leaders, no one had ever heard of them. The the wave of attacks on me lifted my 
profile up massively. But the other thing, I was quite happy to take on Thatcher because I thought what she was doing was terrible. But I noticed Labour MPs had a real problem coping with a woman uh, and attacking her. I mean, I just didn't think our opposition was very good uh, under Michael Foote or under Neil Kinnock in actually taking on Thatcher, I mean, frankly. And you and Thatcher really were, were you know, the spitting image puppets of the time, in a, in a way, in the, in the people's minds. No, they, did, they, they did have spitting image puppets of us, yes. Did you, uh, did you ever talk to her directly? Did you ever have many conversations with she Thatcher? She never met me at all um, when I was GLC leader. And it was only I, when I got into Parliament. I mean, she wouldn't talk to me then because she hated the questions I asked her. Um, it was only after I'd just got elected mayor and we were at some function together, and I saw that, and she came over and said, you've got a lovely job, I'm really hopeful you'll do it well, and all that. I thought, that isn't what you were saying about me 20 years ago. I mean, had she got the right guy? <laughs> but, 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 I mean, you know, you know, people do make mistakes. She, I'm surprised she was so warm. I, know, I, was, I was amazed. I almost fell over. I mean, you abolished me. You did away <laughs> with Londoners' right to elect their own council. And now you're praising me. I couldn't believe it. But she, she was very old by then. I'm not certain she was in, certain what she was saying. No, perhaps not. Is, is, is Margaret Thatcher an idol for you, Anna? Is she someone that you try and emulate? No, I mean, you, you can't take away from the fact that she was the first woman Prime Minister. And you can't take away the, the fact that she was the first woman to lead a political party. And, and, I'm, and, and she was, for, for women of my generation... It was amazing that somebody had achieved that. And as it happens, it was a Tory. And I think it does say a lot about the Labour Party, is that you've never even got close to it. And as a party, you need to work out and wonder why that is. And if I talk to some of the great Labour women MPs that there are at the moment, Mm. they actually think that their party's moving backwards because it's a weird feature. And it always was when I was first involved in politics as a student that the left, the hard left, has a problem with women. No, we don't. Well, why aren't there more women, then, in your part of the Labour Party it's than there are in the more moderate parts no, of no, it? No. And why is it that your some brilliant Labour no. MPs like Jess Phillips talks mm. about the fact she gets more abuse mm. and more misogyny from the hard left, and mm. as, as she puts it, than even the Tories? But why the, is that? Why I mean, do they think look, that? I mean, myself, Jeremy, John McDonnell... All through our political careers, we fought for the rights of women. We encouraged women to stand for local council elections, for the GLC, for Parliament. I mean, all the, the, the sort of campaigns about women's rights and things like that, but it, but, the hard why, left are totally committed to. But it's all words, though. So why, why someone like Jess say that you, your, your side of the, of the movement mm. actually produces the misogyny much well, more? Than, why, why does she think that? What is it about the hard left... Mm. Why it's haven't you got any women leaders even in the hard left? No, no. You haven't. It, I, it, it's I, interesting, isn't it? You, people send all Jeremy, mm. John, mm. three boys. Ah, Diane. Mm. Oh, Diane Abbott, yeah. Mm. Now, that's a good point. And there's Just a, one. But there's a whole generation. Mm? Diane Abbott. Diane, she's, Diane Abbott is absolutely ridiculed by media and the right. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but, I mean, lots of people are ridiculed. And because she's on the left. We all get this crap. But why? Mikey, you but, should but, have but, my life mate at the moment. <laughs> but why? Why do you think Ken Labour's never had or come close to having a, a female leader? I, I mean, I think we we could possibly have had Harriet Harman. I, 
But you actually look back to the, you know, the, 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 the elections. There were so few women um, in Parliament I mean, back in the, the 60s and 70s on either side. Thatcher's breakthrough was amazing, given how few women MPs there were well, at honestly, that time. Honestly, my party... Mm. We honestly but they didn't vote for her because she's a woman. They voted for her no, because she's right they wing. No, they they want to get rid of Edward Heath. No, they voted for her because they thought mm. she'd be the best leader. Mm. And it's just like with May. She was, mm. In fact, the choice was between her as a woman mm. and Andrea Leadsom as a woman. Mm. And honestly, my party does not have mm. as big a problem mm. with women as I think your party does. You just have to look at the record to see mm. that. It's I mean, you've got more women MPs, yeah. and one of the reasons... Almost half. And I had a great conversation with um, one of the, the, the Labour women backbenchers about mm. that, and we were talking about how mm. do we get more women in. Mm. And one of the things that Labour did, and I, 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 I'm not mm. saying I don't agree with it, I'm, I've got an open mind, was that they have all women lists, yeah. and it has produced more women in Parliament. No debate about mm. that. We've got almost half of Labour's MPs are now women. But unless you do something like that, have all women lists, then I mean, it's very difficult. See, because when I get abuse, and mm. God, I get some great abuse. But, you know, when I get <laughs> abuse from the left, one of the things that really surprises me is that they call out my, the, my sex. And they call me a bitch mm. and That's a C terrible. word. But, but you, know, you know, your guys, John mm. McDonnell and even Jeremy, they will not condemn it. Well, I'm sure if someone calls you a bitch... Jeremy will say that is wrong. Unfortunately, <laughs> and so Sarah Williston gets a coffin delivered. Mm, yeah. And 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 Jeremy says, well, you know, that's up to a local the local Labour Party. You know, they make their own decisions. And I think it would help him and politics generally mm. if he actually had the balls to stand up and say that is unacceptable. I don't care if it's a conservative. Mm. See, you guys are much more tribal than we are. No, we're not tribal. I well, mean, why doesn't Jeremy call that out? All through our political careers, we have challenged all the sort of discrimination against women. It was people like Jeremy and me pushing Neil Kinnock to have all women shortlisted. No, it was the right wing of the party that fought that. I mean, the left has always pushed to actually um, advance the rights of women in the you Labour Party. You don't deliver it, lovey. That's well, the we did. We've got delivery. almost half well, I, I of women. Tony Blair's leadership that delivered all women shortlist. But there are, there are other... And I, as a member of staff, was threatened with legal action for imposing them on parts of uh, the UK. But anyway, <laughs> um, there are other issues as well uh, with the modern Labour Party, mm. Ken, and things that concern people about other people's views about certain things. At the moment, you are suspended from the Labour Party mm. for for precisely this thing. I can't remember when I worked for the party and I joined the party when I was 15, I can't ever remember there being anti-Semitism. I just don't remember Mm. hearing it. And yet, only under this leader has it been an issue. Why do you think that is? Well, I've been in the party 48 years. I've never heard anyone say anything anti-Semitic. I mean, if you've got... I mean, if you've got a bigotry, you're not going to join the Labour Party. And the simple fact is that, I mean, last year, 80 Jewish Labour Party members wrote a letter in The Guardian saying throughout all their years they'd never had either. This only arose 18 months ago when the contest for the youth candidate on Labour's NEC and the left-wing candidate, the Jeremy supporter, was denounced because Oxford... Labour Club was alleged to have said things were anti-Semitic and so on. Before that, I'd never heard any Labour MP raise an issue of anti-Semitism in the party. And basically, 
from the moment Jeremy did so well at the election and MPs were stunned, they've all dropped this because it, it, was, it was to undermine Jeremy. It's not about anti-Semitism. They might not be making noise about it. It doesn't mean it's not happening. And it doesn't mean that there aren't people that have joined the Labour Party that don't have these views. I mean, in, in terms of how people arrive at this sort of prejudice, is it that hard left people buy, are more likely to buy into the idea that the world is controlled by a small amount of people? And is that how they get there? What is no, the root? I mean, it's controlled by bankers. I mean, the but even then, people, you know, I've read comments online that people say that are just simply outrageous that there are a lot of people on the hard left that believe that a small amount of Jewish people run the I world. I have never heard anyone on the hard left say anything anti-Semitic. They've criticised Israel. And if you look back at the big lie about what I'd said, I, I was asked on an interview about 9 o'clock in the morning, and I pointed out that in the 1930s, Hitler had done a deal with the German Zionists. I, no journalist took that up. It was only when John Mann, the Labour MP, three hours later, started screaming, I'm Nazi apologist, and claiming I'd said Hitler was a Zionist. Well, if I'd said Hitler was a Zionist, I wouldn't just have apologised. I'd gone to my doctor to check it wasn't a sign of early dementia. How can anyone say a man who loathed and feared Jews all his life is a Zionist? But do you know what's so damning about our media? I never saw any article in a paper or anything on radio or television looking exactly what I'd said and challenging this crap. They just re repeated it. Well, they, there's been a lot of challenges to it, and I think people, mm. a lot of people are aware of the history of the, the transfer agreement mm. that, that was... Um, people don't dispute that there was a, an early agreement mm. and, and that, that some Jews were moved from Germany mm. to, to that part of the world. What people dispute is your version of it, which is almost that Hitler was being helpful... Uh, and actually, anyone who's read Mein Kampf will know, and anyone who knows mm. the basic uh, history of Hitler, is that he had a deep psychopathic loathing. Yes. He was, he was yeah. a deep, deep racist. So he wa even, even if you are partially correct mm. that there was an agreement to move some people rather than kill them, mm. that wasn't done out of any respect or love. This was, this was driving oh, people out of the country right. they lived in. It, it's, it's awful to... But look, I mean, if to you represent it perhaps in the way that... No, no, have. all I said was that during the 1930s, Hitler supported Zionism, then he went mad and killed six million but, but, Jews. But, then, but wasn't he... I mean, the fact that, that the first bit doesn't Support. strike you as mad. It, no, it, no, the simple fact is, it wasn't just that they... I mean... He was mad before the Holocaust. It, yeah, yeah. He, he did a deal because the German Zionists wanted all German Jews to go and live in what was Israel. I, and Hitler saw that as a way of getting Jews out, so that was the basis of the deal. But, but they went on. I mean, it was actual Eichmann who was overseeing the mass murder. Of Ken, the, what I wonder is, what I wonder is, did you, as, as an icon of the left, hmm. ever really want to end up in this position where you are trying to sort of argue a historical point that makes you sound like, to some extent, hmm. you're on the wrong side? No, no. Go, go on. The, Would you rather this hand? No, no. If you look at the um, work of Francis Nicosa, who's a professor of Holocaust studies at the University of Vermont, who spent 40 years researching and writing about this, and he, he spells out all the detail about the collaboration between German Zionists and the Nazis in the 1930s. And the term he uses is that there was widespread support in Hitler's government and the Nazi party for the German Zionists. That's the term he uses, support. Uh, oh. exactly. What point are you trying to make about that? Well, I didn't make this point. 
I mean, literally, I was asked to... No, no. You just raised it. What's the point? No, because you've all asked me about no, it. No, you raised all this. No, this I didn't raise point. it. And it, you sound like an apologist. No, That's no. That's the point. It sounds like... I was asked a question on a radio, BBC radio programme. No, I answered now, it. Just now, you raised stuff. Oh, you must go and read this and read that. Yes. It's like you're trying to validate something, which actually is hugely... Deeply unpleasant and offensive, and it sounds like you're an anti-Semite. No, no, can I tell you this? I couldn't walk down the street in the weeks following my suspension without Jewish people coming up to me and saying, we know what you said is true, what's all this about? You know what surprises me? Mm. I've just said, because if somebody said that to me, Mm. you sound like an anti-Semite, I'd want to go and punch them on the nose. Mm. And you haven't actually said, how dare you say that about me? Because I've had to put up with... I don't understand. I've had to put up with 45 years of lies about what I say and do. But you can't be satisfied with the way that this is going. Well, no, basically, when when we had the three-day hearing, and this was before Jeremy did so well at the general election, and the panel... What? He, did, he did lose, love. Yeah. He lost the gen- gentleman, somebody's just said. He lost the general election. And you know, and you, and you know the other thing is mm. the reason why people like Ruth Smeet and mm. Luciana mm. and other people are not saying the things that they've had to suffer over years mm. as Jewish people mm. is because they are terrified now mm. of your faction of the Labour Party deselecting them because they know momentum is coming for them. That is the reign of terror that your lot is yet again under... Well, it's like that in the Labour Party. (laughs) No, it isn't like that. We've had the biggest influx of you people, mainly young people, half a million members now, more than any other party anywhere in Europe, because Jeremy is talking about making a better society. You don't realise what's going on with the deselections of councillors, not just here in Harrogate, on, no, no. in London, but in cities like Nottingham, where Look. moderate, decent Labour pol- councillors who've served their communities for decades Look. are leaving because they are being terrorised out by Terrorize. momentum. Yes, no. they Look. are. You, you know a... how these people no, no. work. Let me tell you the truth about this. Up until Blair... A local Labour Party could select any candidate it wanted. It was done locally. And that was the same for local councils as well. All of it. It was completely open and democratic. Blair brought in new rules that said if you're in a seat that was winnable, you had to choose from an approved list that the party machine had drawn up. So people like Tristan Hunt are parachuted into solid working class areas where that local party wasn't allowed to choose the peop- local people they wanted. The same was done with councillors. I mean... Blair, in Nottingham? Blair all over Sorry, the Sorry, in Nottingham, they were parachuting in councillors. No, no. These are working class Labour they people. They parachuted in Tristram Hunt. Yeah, but you said, you said councillors as well. Uh, you these, didn't let me finish what I was about being... to tell you. All right, sorry. My Blair mind. also introduced a vetting for existing councillors. And people who'd served on their local council for a decade were told, you don't have sufficient life skills to continue. Right. And thousands were removed. So, and so what we've done now is we're trying to get back to a situation where local Labour Party members can select the candidate they want, whether it's for Parliament or a, a local authority. That's what democracy is about. So why are they leaving in Nottingham then? Why are they up They're absolutely leaving? Decent, moderate, sensible Labour councillors are leaving because they know what's coming, because the party, their local mm-hmm. party, has been infiltrated by hundreds of members no. who are going to get them out because they don't support your brand of socialism. But that's what democracy is about. If I was in... <laughs> 
If I was in the Conservative Party... No, my party, we've ne- we don't do parachuting. That's the problem. No, you don't understand. No, it's parachuting in. Local people have joined. They've got the right to choose the candidate whose you. politics they agree with. I mean, there must be a lot of people in your local party who don't agree with your politics. I mean, when I was uh, Labour MP in Brent East, the right wing ran a candidate against me um, in order because the, I, they wanted somebody who supported Kinner, not me. I thought that was, they should have the right to do that. Let's just move on from the internal uh, politics of the Labour Party. Can, in April, you will be allowed to join the Labour Party again uh, when your suspension is lifted. Firstly, do you think if you weren't Ken Livingstone, you'd have been expelled? And secondly, will you apply to rejoin the Labour Party? No, no. I'm suspended. I've not been expelled. I mean, yes, that's what I'm saying. But do you think, had you not been you with your it's nothing history... Nothing to do with that me. It's simply the fact that... You'd have been kicked I, out. I had a very good lawyer there, Barrister Michael Mansfield. And I simply said to them, if you expel me, I'm going for judicial review. You haven't got a cat in hell's chance of winning that case because I simply stated historical fact and the party did nothing about all those MPs who lied. And so they didn't dare expel me. I mean, it's because I'd said the truth. Was it not that your relationship with Jeremy is such that he couldn't bear to see you go? No, Jeremy had no say over all this. this is, he inherited a machine staffed with Blairites, and that panel that d- does all the s- suspensions and expulsions is completely filled with people who came in under Blair. And it's not just me. Well, they let Andrew Fisher work in the leader's s- office. 70,000 uh, new members were being vetted and checked because they were trying to kick out lefties. So will you rejoin in April? Um, yeah, it just automatically happens. So what happens if, the day after you rejoin, someone asks you about this scenario again, and you repeat, as you have done tonight, the sort of things you said, mm. what, will you then be resuspended, or the, will you then be expelled, or are you going to watch what you say after April? No, no, I'm simply going to do what I've done all my political career. I have to answer your question truthfully. I mean, that's one of my problems, I suppose. I never went to Tony Blair's school for duplicity and evasion. Well, hold on. I did. And (laughs) (laughs) let me tell you, it was a lovely school. Um, Although, too many school dinners. I've got to lose a bit of weight. But, right, ladies and gentlemen, we will open up the floor to questions. The best three questions um, will play in a runoff to um, potentially win. Well, everyone who has to... Well, the top three will get a signed MP4 CD. And, uh, and well, we'll, we'll play a, 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 a game with MP4. So, uh, if I can ask, one sentence questions, please, and one sentence answers. We'll try and get through as many as possible. So, if we can have our hands in the air. Yes, the gentleman at the front. How do we solve a problem like Trump? How do we solve a problem like Trump? Uh, well, certainly don't invite him for a bloody state visit. I... The simple fact is we're stuck with Trump unless he gets removed by Congress and there are real dangers and real risks. But I suspect there's quite a lot of people in the Republican Party, very right-wing in the House of Representatives and the Senate, are going to try and continue to constrain him. But it's the riskiest presidency of my lifetime. I mean, I'm surprised you don't want to invite him for dinner, Ken. You've sat down with some, uh, <laughs> some interesting folk over there, perhaps not extreme enough. Uh, Make Anna. sure, make the, the real answer to this. I think it is to make sure he doesn't get re-elected, and to make sure of that, you've got to cure the the problems that caused him to get elected. I personally want him to get re-elected because he's going to keep my career alive. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. And let me just say, it is an honour to be here, and not only in this beautiful city of London, but tonight in front of thirty thousand people. 
It's a real honor to be here. Okay, the gentleman right at the back. How do you deal with the Irish border question? How do you deal with the Irish border question? Easy peasy, customs union, single market, sorted. <laughs> I'm being, I'm being, it's absolutely, customs union sorts the problem. Customs union? And Br- British business would be so pleased and the British public even more pleased because it would be sorted and then we can get on and do everything else we need to do. I agree. <laughs> okay, any more? For any more? Yes, the lady at the front. If Sadiq comes to you for advice, Ken, what would be your number one piece of advice? It's the thing, it's the thing he's doing. He's brought back the um, low-emission zone proposals, so he's going to tackle the air quality problem in London. Now, I do remember it's that figure now. You know, 40,000 people dying every year, and it's appalling. It isn't just people who are dying. It's kids growing up with permanently damaged lungs. And, I mean, the idea this government just doesn't do a damn thing. They've lost three court cases for it. They just don't want to stand up to the, the motor lobby. Yeah, I see today when somebody asked him that question, yeah. and they said, oh, isn't it, it must be marvellous that you've uh, come home. And he said, nah, mate, he said, I'm from South London. <laughs> I thought that was wonderful, because he's in, he's in Pakistan, isn't he, or in India, and I thought it was a lovely answer he gave. It was a great answer. He's, good, he's all right, he's, he's a good man. Yes, the gentleman over there. Who's Britain's answer to Macron? Who's Britain's answer to Macron in a, in a name, Anna Soubry? Chucker is rather... The lovely Chucker. The lovely Chucker. I love Chucker. Ken? That's the end of Chucker's career. (laughs) Please do not tweet that out, for God's (laughs) sake. You know, the guy... Actually, his majority is so huge, he's safe from momentum, even. The lovely John McDonnell. (laughs) John McDonnell is... (laughs) That is one heck of a theory. And the final question to the gentleman in the middle. How does Labour win when it needs to get well, Tory votes at the next election? We had the biggest increase in the Labour vote since 1945. I mean, 40% Labour, 42.5% Tory. Yes, but there's one simple fact. If the Tories had lost seven more seats, Jeremy would be leading a minority government. Yeah, but to get and, those seven... And, well, but the simple fact is, if Labour MPs had spent... 18 months not undermining Jeremy and trying to get rid of him, but out there campaigning for his policies, if the party machine had actually been working to build for the election rather than trying to get rid of 70,000 lefties, we would have won this election. We all and I think we will win the next one. So, in short, it's Tony Blair's fault. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, okay, so I the best think. three questions were uh, the, the one from the lady at the front, the one from the gentleman next to you, and uh, the Macron question. So if you three people would like to join us up on stage. Oh, come on, give them a round of applause. Come on, it's Christmas. <laughs> Gentlemen, please. And we'll give it up for our guests, Ken Livingston and Anna Subri. Thank you very much. I'll catch you backstage. Cheers, Ken, thank you. Right, this is the denouement. This is the final part of the night. So what we're going to do, we're going to play a quick game. And we're going to play a quick game of, of, of Name That Tune. So when you hear an intro, the audience can help. The first one to shout out gets the prize. And the first prize tonight, or the first prize available, is a lovely bottle of Fleury with a signed copy of the MP4 album Cross Party. Um, 
<laughs> well, everyone gets one of them anyway, so you might as well. There you go. You can, there you go. Others are available at yeah. the back of the hall. Uh, <laughs> a few rare unsigned copies. Five pounds uh, each. <laughs> okay, so to name this tune for a bottle of Fleury. Take it away, fellas. Yes, called it. Called it. Driving over Christmas. It's a bottle of Fleury. That was very quick. Well done. Merry Christmas. So, here we go for the second one. Stop the... It was. Jenna Louis, stop the cavalry. You shout it out. Right, this is for the big prize. A bottle of champagne. You've really got to try and win this, and then it's, then it's all fair. It's the socialist... Giving out a bottle of champagne is the socialist utopia we all want to live in. Uh, right, okay. Oh, so the clue for this one. This was a hit this year. Uh, it's not necessarily a festive hit, but it was a big hit this year. So here we go. said the right answer. For those of you that didn't recognise it, this is how it sounds with the lyrics. With Make sure this time you get it right. Vote for Greg Knight. Vote Greg Knight. There you go. That all worked out well. Congratulations to our winners. Merry Christmas. Thank you for coming. Cheers. Well done. Well done. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that, that almost brings us to the end, but it wouldn't be a, a Christmas political party without uh, some music. Uh, but please, firstly, thank you all for coming. Uh, the political party next year is sold out almost for the whole year. Uh, there are a few tickets left for some of the shows at the other palace, but the first guest of the year in January, uh, James Cleverly. In February, Ed Miliband. Oh, no. Ah! And in March, Angela Rayner, and more to be booked later in the year. Some Big names that uh, I will confirm soon. But thank you for coming tonight. Tonight, And we will end with... Uh, uh, by all means, get up and dance. Uh, but thank you for coming tonight. Please, before we do go, give it up for uh, Anna Subri and Ken Livingston. For all the staff here at the Leicester Square Theatre. Who works out tonight. For MP4. And it's Christmas, so let's have a sing and a dance. For the wonderful MP4. There you go. Anna Subri and Ken Livingston. I hope you enjoyed the interview. The political party returns next year in January with James Cleverly, in February with Ed Miliband, and in March with Angela Rayner. Tickets for those shows have already sold out. There's a handful of tickets left for some of the shows next year, but it's, it's pretty much sold out until November. But always check on the other Palace website. Sometimes there are late returns on the day, so check my Twitter feed as well, at Matt Ford. I'll always retweet people who are, maybe can't make the show on the Wednesday and, and are trying to offload the tickets at short notice, so do check that. If you could leave us a review on iTunes, it'd be um, very good of you, I'd be very grateful. And if you could share this link with your, your friends and your family, again, I'd be very grateful. And I hope you have a Merry Christmas. I'm genuinely... Uh, a fan of Christmas and love it. So wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope you enjoy a bit of time off. If you do get a bit of time off, and just have some mulled wine and 
some pie, some turkey. Well, I mean, I don't know why I put pie ahead of turkey there, but it says a lot about what I've been eating lately. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and I shall see you soon. Ta-ra! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.